What's going on, man? It's your boy, Jay Holly, and we are back with another episode of Unfiltered with Jesse Holly, episode 52. Happy, happy, happy new year. You could have been anywhere in the world, but I am so glad that you are here with me. I am Jesse Holly, the sports talk equivalent of Braille. People feel me when I speak. You guys know what you got to do. Like, subscribe. Uh, uh, hit the notification button. Make this a part of your everyday life, man. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's at Mr. Fourth and Long. Look us up on YouTube, Unfiltered with Jesse Holly, Fanatics View. Head to the page, man. See everything that we do. You want to make sure that you're locked in and loaded to everything that we put out because we put out that fire. But you guys know how I like to get down. I like to get my motivation at the beginning because let's be honest. A lot of you aren't going to be here at the end anyway. I'm just not for everybody, especially in 2024. I might be less for more, y'all, in 2024, but that's all good, man. But before you go, find three episodes. 52 of these things will be out by the time you see this. Find a couple episodes, man. Give me three listens, 15 minutes apiece, and, and make sure make sure you listen all the way through the 15 minutes. And then after that, if you decide that you ain't, I ain't really for you, Man, find three more. Just keep finding episodes, man, until I really am a part of your life. We got some good ones out there. We just we sat down with Uncle Nate last week. That one was really, really popular with the people, man. Nate took us through all of uh, the times with uh, him and Jimmy Johnson and the Cowboys back in the day. Go check that out, man, and check out many, many other episodes that we have. All right, man, here we go. I'm going to jump right into this thing, man. Here is the motivation that I kind of just – this is the first motivation coming out of the old year into the new year, and I like it. I like it a lot. I think some of you should adopt it. Here we go. It simply reads, learn to be done. Let's let that sit for a second. Let that simmer for a second. Learn to be done. Not mad, not bothered, not bitter, just done. In 2024, we are protecting our peace at all costs. We, have, we, we, we should be putting up a fortress around our peace. <laughs> we, live, we live in the United States of America and they want to put up these border walls all across. You should put up border walls around your peace, around your, your serenity, your sanctuary, your mind, your body, whatever that, whatever that means to you that you should not indulge in anything or anyone, family included, that is going to interrupt your peace. We have to learn to not just tolerate stuff because we've known them for 15, 20 years. We should, we should come to a maturity level that we should just say, you know what? You no longer fit in my life in a place where I find peace and joy around you. So that negative homegirl, that lazy homeboy, that job, whatever it is, we got to be able to find peace and protect it and not be mad. Not be bitter, not, not just, hey, I'm done. My peace is worth more than anything that you could ever bring to my life. And if you can't give me the proper amount of energy and synergy that I need to keep my peace level at a high level, be done with them. All right? Protect your peace all 2024. All right, man, here we go. Jump right into this thing. The Cowboys defeat the Detroit Lions 20 to 19 at AT&T Stadium. Jimmy Johnson, maybe the curse is lifted. 
maybe the curse is lifted. Finally, one of these awkward, weird games, they fall into the lap on the right side for the Dallas Cowboys. They beat the Detroit Lions at home, extending their home winning streak to 16 games. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to tell you how I'm going to approach this one. This is, this is going to be one of those um, compliment sandwiches. No, no, not compliment sandwiches. Yeah, I'm going to do a compliment sandwich. It's going to be a compliment sandwich. It's going to have some good. It's going to have some ugly. And then I'm going to end with some good. Because there was all of that in this football game. And I'm going to start with giving a little bit of flowers in this, in this complimentary sandwich, man. Uh, I would say Dak Prescott and CeeDee Lamb, thank you. Thank you, Dak Thank you, CD, for picking up where you left off last week in Miami. Last week in Miami, Dak and CD, they came out white hot. And all of a sudden, I, I don't, CD must have stood for Swahili for Casper because he got ghost. Couldn't find him, didn't know where he was at for the rest of the game. Came back later on at the end of the game, but it was a little too late for them to pull out the victory. They came out this week and said, we're going to be hot. We're going to start hot, we're going to stay hot, and we're going to finish hot. To the tune of CeeDee Lamb having 17 targets, 13 catches, 227 yards, and a touchdown. By the way, CeeDee Lamb breaking two records, receiving records for the Dallas Cowboys, both held by Michael Irvin. He broke the reception record, and he also broke the yards in a single season. So shout out to CeeDee Lamb with that. But they had the combination going early on. You see the big 92-yard touchdown. And I love that because Dak made that play happen. If you go back and you watch that play, uh, number 55 from the Lions, he had Dak Prescott dead to rights for a safety. That could have been a critical moment in that game. But Dak, two hands on the football, he dips his shoulder, gets out of the way, looks up, finds CeeDee Lamb down the field for 92-yard touchdown, and that kind of like opened the game up for the Cowboys. And, and it, was, it was a back-and-forth game, but just watching those two dudes just go at it. And this is – you get to this part of the season, and it, this isn't the time – and I told you guys last week with Dak – at times, to me, he feels more like a golden retriever. What I want to be nice and friendly to everybody. But sometimes you got to be a Connie Corso. Well, you got to protect your own and be aggressive to those that are outside of that. And I think he really aggressively, intentionally made sure that this game was filled with opportunities for CeeDee Lamb because that's the best player on the football field. Like, let's be honest here. Like, let's not, let's not sugarcoat this thing. There probably isn't going to be a better football player, football player, uh, not team, not side of the ball, but a football player that's going to be better than CeeDee Lamb because right now he's second in the league in receiving yards behind Tyreek Hill in Miami. So when he steps foot on that football field, he's probably the best thing out there. So it, it will behoove you and the, the offense and the offensive play caller and the quarterback and everybody else that benefits from that to get CeeDee the ball. And then guys can kind of – you know, play off that. So that was a good thing to see those two getting back there. And Dak had another good game. He had 324 yards. He looked like he was in command. Um, again, even though they had lows uh, often in that game, they, they, they found their way to kind of do some things. Uh, defensively, Tank, I don't think we give Tank enough flowers. We, we, we are enamored with Micah Parsons, rightfully so. I'm not saying that you should not be. I'm not saying that he isn't uh, deserving of all the praise and the accolades that he gets. We are also enamored with the stat of sacks. And if guys get sacks, how many sacks do they get? We've kind of based that of being the criteria of how we look at how good a defensive end is in the league. Uh, 
If he has multiple sacks or he has a 10, 15, 20 sack season, then we consider him to be an elite player at that position. And I'm here to tell you that while the sacks are great, that is that should not be, and it is not, the way I view it, a determining factor on just how good of a player is. When you look at Tank Lawrence and what he's done, not just in the Lions game, but in the season, just how he's consistently been a, a beast in the run game, he solidified at times the, 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 the edges. He has been just, he gets the pressures. He gets guys uh, uh, open. When they're doing tackle in, uh, stunts, when he moves inside and they're doing TT stunts, tackle, tackle stunts. I, I mean, this is a guy who's played all across that line. He's never, you, you don't hear him crying about opportunities. You don't hear him crying about calls. You don't hear him crying about not getting the accolades. You don't hear him crying about none of that. He just go to work. He just goes to work. He just puts his head down. And, and maybe that's the maturity of him. He's been around this league for a while. He understands his position. He understands how important he is to this team. And, and Tank has just done a phenomenal job. And he has been one of the consistent pieces on this defensive line. A lot of times with Micah, you'll have him go a little bit rogue at times. And he can because he's the all-star, right? He is the he is hands down probably, arguably, probably the best pass rusher. In the league, and you can put it up there with Miles Garrett, uh, yeah, Miles Garrett or T.J. Watt or Nick Bosa, or whoever. But he is the star, and so he has the ability to kind of do his own thing at times. And the one thing that the role that Tank just said, you know what? I, I'll be, I'll be the steadying of the boat. I, I won't go rogue. I won't do things that I'm not supposed to. And when you watch Tank in this game. I mean, tackle for loss after tackle for loss after setting the edge after just being a dominant figure. I mean, there's probably there's probably if we go back and watch, there's probably about two games this season, maybe three, where the ability of Tank being able to knife through the offensive line and make some plays behind the line of scrimmage saved the Cowboys from giving up points and ultimately probably won them the football game. And so just watching him play, man, it's just been it's been a treat. And when you really break down, you know, what it is to to have a player like that, you understand and you appreciate him just a tad bit more. And then Micah was Micah. Micah was the dominating um, game wrecker, just creating havoc in the backfield, run stopper. I mean, he was doing it all in this game against the Lions. There's one player who I really think um, over the last couple of weeks has really stepped up and, and done a tremendous job, and that's Jordan Lewis. Uh, Jordan Lewis, man, playing in the slot, uh, not only just being a really good cover corner, he had the interception in the game, just way, just, 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 a, just a veteran savvy of understanding, yeah, things might be going the opposite way, but I'm going to continue to play my keys and stay home, and he got the interception, but just the way he's played in the run game. And when you understand this time of the year, December football, early January football, playoff football, People are going to try to run the football on you. They understand that. They understand time of possession. They understand down and distance. All those things. Now, as you get into playoff mode, you want guys willing to step up and play the run. And Jordan Lewis has done a fanatic. Fan, fan, fanatic. He's done a fantastic. Yeah, he's done a fanatic job. He's done a fantastic job. Fanatic and tastic at the same time. He's done a fanatic. He's done a fantastic job in stopping the run. Not stopping the run, but being involved in the run. We see a lot of guys, especially DBs and the smaller types. They they do what we call business decisions. 
You know, the run's coming their way, and they're like, eh, not really my thing. They don't really pay me for this. And they'll turn down and stop in the run. And I think Jordan Lewis has shown up uh, significantly in the run game these last couple of weeks. And you're thinking about, you know, two run teams that they played back-to-back weeks in Miami and then again in the Lions. And they stepped up, Tank and, and others as well. But I'm giving those three guys the, the, the flowers for just the way they stepped up in this football game and gave their, ch- their team a chance um, to win this game. Now, not a, all right, the compliments are out. I'm giving some compliments. Now, I got to, I gotta, uh, you know, when you, I don't know, people are going to say, oh, you're dead, Jesse, you're a bad dog owner. But one of the things that I've, I've learned when I, I guess I was taught, not from the school of Michael Vick, but, you know, when, you're, when your dog, when you're training your dog about, you know, the pottying and not pottying in the house at times, sometimes, you know, they, they poo-poo in the house or they pee in the house and you, you're taught to take their nose and kind of put it in and say, no, you know, no. I got to put this in the nose of Mike McCarthy. I got to put Mike McCarthy's nose in this. Like, I really, I got to grab him. I got to grab him by the, by the fat part of his neck. And I got I to gotta put it in the poo-poo. I got to put it in the boo-boo and put his nose in it and let him say no, no, no. And it's the clock management. It, it, it is the consistent abuse of the clock management. And, and here, Mike is in this game. And, and, and when you get down to those moments, I get it. It gets, it gets frantic. It gets crazy. A hundred things are going. But as the head coach, you have to be the one that really calms the troops. You have to be the one who has, you know, as, as everything around you is going crazy, that should calm you. You can't go crazy with the situations. You can't get all out of sorts with the emotions of the game. You have to be able to be locked in and focused, and you have to have assistance as well to help you out with that. The guys got to be like, hey, coach, we got to do it. But you watch that game, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, Cowboys, you know, you want to end this game, and if you have to give the ball back to the Lions, you want to give them the ball back with at least amount of time as possible, which means that, yeah, you got to run the ball here a little bit. You know, you want to take – if you're going to pass, you want to take passes that are absolutely completed passes because I want to keep the clock moving. I want them to burn their timeout so that when they do get the ball back, that they don't have the ability to call timeouts. And that then puts that in favor of us winning the game. But again, Mike McCarthy, you, you, you call a pass play. And I say you because you are the offensive play caller. You are the OC. You are the, you are the head coach. You're the offensive coordinator. And you get into this game and you run when you're supposed to pass and you pass when you're supposed to run and you throw a bomb. You throw a bomb that stops the clock. The Lions shouldn't have been in position to even go out there and have an opportunity. We should have been able to run another 35 to 40 seconds off the clock, but since you wanted to throw a pass down the field, a bomb, to an incomplete receiver that ended up incomplete, you allowed the clock to be stopped. You allowed the Lions to go back out there and have way more time on the clock than they should have. And it just was it was, it was a crazy situation to watch because I'm saying you're not a new young head coach. You've been around this league for two decades You understand how important clock management is. You understand how important to leaving as little time as possible for the team when they get the ball back. But on a consistent basis, when you get into these moments of you having to control the clock and do the right things by clock management, you fail. You fumble fumble the bag. 
And this is something that you just consistently cannot keep doing, Mike McCarthy. Yeah, I got to put your nose in this. I got to tell you no, no, no. Stop poo-pooing in the house. Stop poo-pooing in the clock management. It, it, it is, it's cost your team before, and it almost cost your team again. And as we get ready to head into the playoffs, you got to shake this, man. You got to shake this because you cannot afford because now what you're getting ready to play in the, in the playoffs, quality football teams, quality quarterbacks, quality head coaches, quality OCs, quality DCs. You have to be quality. And so I, I got to grab you by the fat part of your neck and I got to put your nose in this and say, stop. Stop doing this. No. No, Mike. No. Understand when you should run the clock. Understand what it means four-minute offense. Understand what it means when I have to bleed the clock out to the very last second before I have to give the ball back to the opposing team. Stop having the mental brain farts in the moments where I need you to be your sharpest. Stop. No. Mike, this has to stop, man, because you're going to, you've cost your team before. And if you want to continue having a job, the last thing that you want to do is go into these playoffs and have a situation where, you, you, you cost your team a game. You might cost yourself a job. If you have black clock management in the first round of the playoffs and you lose a game because you give the ball back to the Rams or to the Packers or to whoever and they go down and score, that's going to be on you. Especially when you have opportunities to, to bleed the clock. You got to be better with that, man. You, you, you have to be better. And, and, and to continue on with the, with the, with the, the poopoo part of this compliment sandwich – is I didn't leave this game, though it's a win, and a win is a win is a win is a win. I get it. It's hard to win in the National Football League. I get it. I've been there. I understand it completely. But now I'm talking from this side. And I didn't feel. No, people feel me. I didn't feel. I didn't feel good about this win. Shame me all you want. I just didn't. Like, coming out of this game, I felt like even though the Cowboys won, they kind of lost. It just didn't feel, it didn't, it didn't give me the feeling that I was hoping for. I, I, I'm not saying I was looking for a 40 or 50 burger and I was looking for a dominant performance. That would have been nice. It would have been nice, you know, to be back home and to kind of set yourself up to, 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 to be back in a situation where you're saying, you know what, we are ready for the playoffs. But, but I saw some of the same things that we've talked about ad nauseum throughout the year, just the, the penalties and the mistakes and the misplays and the miscues and just not being able to close a door when you're supposed to close a door and, and coming up clutch when you need to come up clutch. And I just I, I didn't feel good about that. I didn't feel good about that. And, and normally you're a team at home that usually plays way better. So overall, I, I left this game, yes, happy it was a win. What a great ceremony for Jimmy Johnson. And I don't know if you guys are like me. I watched that ceremony, and, I, and I, I have zero attachments to Jimmy Johnson. Didn't play for him. He didn't coach me at no point in time, at any point in time in my career. But I felt like I was a part of that celebration. Like I felt there was an emotional attachment. I don't know because I'm, I'm friends with Nate and Michael Irvin and other players, and I hear the stories about them and, and, and the mystique of being a cowboy, and I'm a cowboy. But I just – I don't know. I just felt like a part of it. And when he said, how about them, I was like – I got a little misty eye, a little thug tear. A little thug tear formed up my eye. I don't know why. 
I didn't play for those championship teams, but I just felt a part of it. So I was happy that they won in the sense of I didn't want that moment to be ruined for Jimmy, for Jerry, for this Cowboy Nation in general. Um, but I didn't, I didn't leave that game feeling confident. I didn't leave that game saying to myself, yeah, this team is ready to go. I didn't leave that game saying that, you know, that we can go anywhere and beat anybody at any time, home or away. I just didn't feel that. I, I felt more like I felt more like the Lions lost the game than the Cowboys won it. If that makes any sense. I feel like if Dan Campbell didn't get out of his if he would have got out of his own way, if if he would have had one less steroid non plan, I don't know if he takes steroids or not. I'm joking. I'm joking, Dan. I'm joking. But I, I if he had one less scoop of of the of the the pre-workout, and he was more calm, he would have kicked the field goal. And then you go into overtime, and you never know what happens in overtime, right? I know that they were getting some things off, but but Detroit, that last drive, they I mean, they literally walked down the field. And maybe you go into overtime, you have a different situation, a different outcome. But I just felt like the Cowboys, they, 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 they won, but they didn't win. I feel like more of the Lions lost the game. And, of course, you come down to the end of the game, and, and, and it's been the talk of the town, right? It's been the talk of all of sports, and we, we talk about the debacle. And it's, I mean, you can listen to 100 different people. And what it basically boils down to is Dan Campbell, in trying to, conf in trying to trick the Cowboys, tricked himself. And I know that he went to the referees before the game and, and outlined and all that kind of stuff. But you got to remember as well, Dan, just like you were hype and involved in that game, so were these officials. And in that moment, things are happening. I know people are going to say, well, it's their job to be calm, cool, and collective. Well, they're human. I can promise you when that, that crowd's cheering, that place is rocking, and it's, it's loud. If you did one of those tests, they're, they're, they're hype too. Those officials are hype. They understand the moment. And, and – and listen, Dan, you, you, excuse my French, you effed up. You effed up. You tried to send guys in late, and you, what did you try to do? You tried to get matching numbers like 58 and 68, and hopefully that they got confused and that you would be able to get this play off. And it backfired. And even in the moments of it backfiring and you still had an opportunity to do it again, like you still, you still could kick the extra point. So I think you confused yourself your team the refs <laughs> and ultimately it, it it was the it was the the final cut for your team and you kind of actually ruined some situations for yourself because you could have been in a better position as far as seating but such as life finally a call go maybe this two things maybe this was a a, a a feeling of the curse being lifted, right? Because normally the Cowboys are on the other side of those calls, right? They don't call, they don't say that the guy was uncovered and 68 gets two-point conversion and the game is over. It's been that way a lot of times for the Cowboys. But then also it feels like, the, you know, that, that, that curse is lifted and things are happening and Jerry doing right by Jimmy and all things seem like it's kind of working itself out, maybe a little bit, maybe. I don't know. I just feel like saying it. Maybe the curse has been lifted. 
Could be. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe the Cowboys go up to Washington this week and lay an egg and say the curse is still on. But nonetheless, a win for the Cowboys. And then I have to kind of end it with a compliment. The Cowboys are in first place. That's big. A couple of weeks ago, we thought this is over. No way Philly is going to fall to the Giants or to the Cardinals. I said, I don't think they will. I don't think they will. I owe Tay a steak dinner. But they're collapsing. And the Cowboys did what they had to do one point by gosh, one point. They're in first place. And if they go and they win on this Sunday, they find themselves winning the division, which means they'll have some home games. That's a good thing. So despite them losing to Buffalo and losing to Miami and, and barely eking one out against Detroit, because the Eagles are just absolutely imploding all across the board, I keep telling y'all, stay away from them Patriots assistants. Once they made Matt Patricia the defensive coordinator and they went with Matt Patricia, over their guy Desai, <laughs> trash. And now it seems as if the reports of people are saying from the inside that this thing is really crumbling. Defense is not – the one thing that they, they was always be able to, to, to hang their hat on defensively was stopping the run. They're getting gashed. They're getting run on. Now you got guys like Brian Baldinger coming out and saying uh, some of their young defensive linemen are out of shape giving terrible effort, fat. Um, you know, they try to mix a combination of old and young, but the old guys are having to play more snaps because the young guys aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Their DBs are horrible. Toast. All of them. They are terrible. Ricks and all that. So the Cowboys did what they had to do while the Eagles collapsed, and so they have the number one seed today. Now they got to finish the deal. They got to go up to Washington where they lost last year. They lost on the road. It's going to be wet. It's going to be rainy, I, I, I hear. It's going to be maybe even snowing. So that puts another wrinkle in the situation. But the Cowboys got to go out and do what they got to do, keep that uh, number one seed. I would love to have some home games. But I just didn't feel like leaving that game. I didn't feel uh, – I, I didn't feel – I didn't feel I didn't have the confidence that I wanted to have. Maybe that changes this week. Maybe I kind of move back towards that way. But coming out of that game, I was like, okay, they won, but this is not going to be enough. This is not going to be enough to get you to where you want to get to. It's enough. Of, it's enough to win this game, but you you got to be better. And this team has been teetering on not so good the last three weeks of football. They won. They lost two of them, and they won one by the skin of their teeth. So. Hopefully they get things together uh, and get right. All right, man, let's go around the sports world. And, boy, we fussed and we cussed and we moaned and we groaned about the voting of who was going to the college football playoffs, who was out, who was in. I got to say, and if you're being honest with yourself, damn good games. I mean, you could not have asked for a better set 
of games. Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl, you could not ask for, for two. I mean, those games were phenomenal. Every single moment, it wasn't like a blowout. It wasn't one of those things where you're just like, oh, boy, we got to watch this. It never should have been. Nah, nah, nah. No, you were locked in. You were locked in on those games. And the first game of the, uh, of the morning was uh, Michigan versus Alabama and uh, Harbaugh versus Nick Saban. And we know everything that, that, that Michigan has been through this year. Some of it – and you know the thing I, I was saying to myself? I was saying to myself, I was like, Michigan, like, puts on this thing, like, oh, yeah, everything that we've been through. I was like – I was like, Naysayer, this, you did this. This is on you. Like, everything that was – if you caught the Naysayer thing, you just, just, just let it ride. Um, this is on you. Like, everything that you were going through this year – the sign stealing, the recruiting violations, all this stuff was self-imposed. It wasn't like you went through something like, you know, you lost a player or, you know, coaches was done wrong and this and this and that. Like, don't play victim to the things that you had hand in doing. This was Jim Harbaugh missing six games this year wasn't because he was railroaded. No, it was because Jim Harbaugh got involved in some shady stuff. And I always laugh when I hear – Head coaches talk about, well, I was unaware of this, 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 and this. Unaware. Like, you're, first of all, you're, you're paid too much money to be unaware. Sorry. When you're talking about the gym, the, the Harbaugh's of the world, is it Jim? John Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh. When you talk about that much money that you make, you're paid to be informed. You know everything else. You know everything else. But all of a sudden, when things start to come back, you know, well, I wasn't aware. He's what? No, he was suspended at the beginning of the year as well. Yeah, he was suspended at the beginning of the year. And then he had a suspended at the end of the year. Yeah, Harbaugh was out there. He was outside. Harbaugh was outside. He was outside. <laughs> he was outside holding down these suspensions. He, he was, he was. He he was getting it in. He 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 was he, he was chilling. He's at the crib. He was outside. But he was at the crib. Um, but boy, what games, man! Back and forth between Bama uh, and Michigan. Blake Crum he rushed for 85 yards and a touchdown. Had two more catches for 35 yards and a touchdown. And it went in overtime. And 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 you know they go into overtime and and um, Michigan gets the ball. They go down. They score. And then it's Bama's time. And uh, if you didn't watch the pregame show, um, they were talking about Jalen Milrose and how he has this merch. And his merch was called Lank. L-A-N-K. And as Reese Davis is reading it, he goes, Lank stands for let a naysayer know. And as they're going through this, you know, Pat McAfee goes, let a naysayer know. Ooh, oh, 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 boy. Okay, because – they thought he was going somewhere. Let a bleep no. If you know what I'm saying, you know what I'm saying. If you don't, then keep saying naysayer. That'll be, that, that best, that's best for you. Uh, and that was the joke of, of, the, of the town. And so, you know, Jalen Milrose, he gets an opportunity to go out there and, and, and prove himself. And it's been this back and forth all year long with Jalen Milrose. Is he the guy? Isn't he the guy? He was benched. He was brought back. Um, you know, he had came out and said the former offensive coordinator said that he should change positions. All this hoopla about what was going on and things were happening. Then at the end of the game, games on the line, fourth and goal. Uh, and, and they run a quarterback draw. 
And I just thought to myself, in those moments, coaches normally you have you have the kind of these go to plays. You you have like this is gun to my head, life on the line. I'm going with this play. I just found it hard to believe that game on the line, gun to your head, national championship birth is at stake. And you went with a quarterback draw. Like I, I, I know, and maybe you know Jalen rushed it. Maybe he should have followed the guard to the left. Snap was a little bit low, but a quarterback dive draw, like that was of all the plays that were ever created that you could have called. That was the one that you pulled for that particular play. And especially the way that the defense has been playing in the trenches all game long for Michigan, I just thought that that was a bailout. I, I, I thought I thought the OC he failed his he failed his quarterback he failed his team. There, there could have been I would have called ten other plays, fifteen, twenty other plays, besides that one. That one was that I I, just, I don't I don't get that one. I I still to this day I, I don't get that one. You just you. you Put them on the roll, put them on the run, give them a two-way option, get something going. I just didn't understand you thinking the way that game had been played all game long and how they had sacked him five, six, seven times. They were dominant up front. They were whooping your offensive line's tail for a large majority of that game. And you thought when they needed it the most that you were going to be able to run to the strongest point of their defense? Okay. <laughs> Oh, okay. But uh, nonetheless, Michigan advances. It's headed to Houston next week. And its opponent, another bomb burner. Washington, the Huskies, take on the Texas Longhorns. And it was a back-and-forth game. And let me say this. It's moments like these. When you look at Michael Penix Jr., who is phenomenal. He threw for 430 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, it seems as every single time they needed a play, Penix came up with a play. His, his deep ball was amazing. I mean, the touch on it, the velocity, the zip, he was dropping in the bucket and his receivers. I, I, it was a clinic. I, I love the way they catch the They were playmakers. But you know the thing is, is about now that we talk about, man, Michael Penix and he's this and he's that in the third – I believe that Michael Penix Jr. was a result. And he's and that, don't get me wrong, like he's been in the conversation all year long. But I think the big portion of, of, of why we didn't kind of really dive into putting Michael Penix Jr. on the pedestal, like the like the up there, like maybe even past Drake May, maybe even past Caleb Williams, is because last year Caleb Williams won the Heisman. But Michael plays in that West Coast system. No, excuse me, that West Coast time zone. And a lot of times when you're playing on that West Coast time zone, folks in the Midwest and the East Coast, they're not staying up at 1 o'clock in the morning to watch Washington Husky football games. <laughs> they just not. They aren't. And then sometimes you may be playing, in, in, you know, maybe at noon or 1 o'clock or whatever it may have you, and then you may have other games that people are more interested in, the Alabamas or the Texas of the world or, or the Notre Dame of the world, and people are tuning into those games. And I think he was kind of like in the conversation, but kind of like, yeah, but because he didn't have the opportunity to be on that national stage in those primetime games where 
people got a chance to really see who he was as a player. Well, he damn sure showed up on Monday night. He damn sure did what he had to do on Monday night while the world was watching. And he put on a show. I mean, he was out there throwing the ball. And he had that left-handed delivery, so it kind of sometimes looked awkward. But he was slinging that pill around the park. He had the Texas DBs in hell. I mean, you, you, none of them could guard his receivers. And he was putting the ball any and everywhere that he wanted. His receivers were making plays, driving the football down the field. Um, I think they said on the broadcast that he had – I think he had – um, a 53, he had a 53% co- completion percentage to balls over like 40 or 50 yards, something crazy like that. It was like, and that's, that's that you're talking about the 50, 50 balls. Like he was winning the 50, 50 percentage when the ball down the field and his receivers were definitely helping him out. Uh, and it's another game that I thought Washington kind of had pulled away from this game, but Texas just kept fighting and kept fighting and kept fighting. And then they got down to the end. And, you know, with the ball in the hands of, of Quinn Hewers, you thought, all right, where are we going? And, uh, and, and they tried, uh, but they came up short. But, you know, but Texas, they, I thought they had it early on. Then they turned the ball over a little bit, and it was just, just – they ran and they stalled out. I, I don't know what happened. They just stalled out and, and – and, You've seen some uncharacteristic things from their running back. The fumbles, like that. Anytime you lose a turnover battle, the percentage of you winning the football game is slim. It, it really is slim. And Texas did not win the turnover battle. They did not show up when they needed to show up. They fought back. They fought back. And maybe this is Texas is coming back. They're not all the way back, but they're coming back. And they're, and, they're, and they're taking those next steps to get into a situation next year where they'll be back into uh, the college football playoffs. Well, hopefully they will be. They'll have 12 next year. Uh, so they'll have more opportunities to do so. But the Longhorns have an interesting conundrum on their hands. Because you have your quarterback that this year, Quinn Ewers, who still have some eligibility left. And had a phenomenal year. I mean, got them to the semifinals of the college football playoffs. But waiting in the wings, waiting in the wings is a name that we've all heard since he picked up a football, feels like. Arch Manning, who basically redshirted this year and has been phenomenal and just waiting his turn. And, and maybe we're off, right? Maybe we're off as society because we've been um, we've been scarred a little bit by the new college football where players, if they don't get the right amount of Gatorade in a timeout, they're transferring. Players, if they don't get the right amount of exposure, they're transferring. And so maybe we are all, myself included, a little bit jaded to think to ourselves that there's no way Arch Manning sits another year there's no way. There's no way nephew of Peyton and Eli, son of Cooper, grandson of Archie will sit two years in a row. There has to be some decision making coming up very soon for Coach Sarkeesian, for Quinn Ewers, and for Arch Manning. Because if Quinn Ewers decides that he wants to come back for another year and they battle it out, Maybe he beats out Arch. Maybe Arch beats him out. Maybe the head coach, Steve Sarkeesian, comes and says, you know what, son? You have to transfer. 
speaking about yours. Because we just can't sit this kid. And if you don't think money is not involved in this situation, not the money that he's getting, but the money from the boosters. See, they're looking at saying, man, we're going to the SEC. What better way to start this thing off with having Arch Manning? Now, however, now you would hope that Arch Manning comes along with when he starts that he's winning games. Because going to the SEC, having the Manning name, uh, that's going to bring a bunch of TV, a bunch of ad revenue, a bunch of just all the stuff that these people behind the scenes make money off of. But there's going to have to be some decisions made at the collegiate level about what they're going to do at quarterback. I can tell you right now, I don't want to be Steve Harkeesian right now. He has a pretty wife. Yes, he does. Shout out to the sister. Makes a boatload of money. Yes, he does. Dollar, dollar bill, y'all. But at some point in time, you're, either, you're going to lose a kid. I just, I just feel that way. And, and I, maybe, again, maybe I'm jaded by the way the transfer portal is beginning to work with these young kids. But you're going to lose a kid. You're either going to push a kid out that was your starter for the last couple of years, or you're going to force a kid to leave because he's not playing. And the Alabamas of the world, the Georgias of the world, the Ohio States of the world, they're going to come calling. And this had to happen pretty sick, pretty sick, pretty quick with how the transfer portal works. You got to have guys in there, and they have to be enrolled by a certain amount of time before school starts back up. So this is, this is a decision that has to be made pretty swiftly when it comes to who goes, who stays, that's a decision that has to be made by Steve Sarkeesian and his staff. All right, man, bouncing over to the NFL. I mean, outside of the Cowboys game, of course, I think the game of the week and statement of the NFL weekend. Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens put a whooping. Go get the switch. Go get the switch. Go get a palm tree. Go get whatever you need to get, Miami. But, but the Baltimore Ravens in back-to-back -back weeks have made loud, I mean loud, statements. The way they manhandled the 49ers, who we all believe, I'll say, I should say we, I'll say I believe, was the best team in football. And then the way they came back and said, oh, y'all thought last week was a fluke? <laughs> Lamar Jackson comes back in and boy was was he quarterbacky. If some of y'all like y'all quarterbacky, quarterbacky, five touchdowns, over 300 yards and a whooping against the Miami Dolphins. If that ain't quarterbacky, I don't know what the hell quarterbacky is. And Lamar Jackson made a statement. The Ravens made a statement. And, I, boy, and Tay, you're going to have to eventually, you're going to have to eventually, see, take it to sit behind the camera and not have to be held accountable to certain things. But all year long, he's been saying how he don't believe in the Baltimore Ravens. They don't have enough passing game. They don't, they don't, they, they can't pass the ball enough. Five touchdowns. Five passing touchdowns. A whooping back-to-back -back weeks on two teams that a lot of people will consider Super Bowl contenders or at least deep playoff contenders. And the Ravens that came in and said, cut the noise. We the biggest, baddest mofos out here. We the bullies. 
in the AFC. We bullied the NFC bully, and then we, we the team that put up 70 in the AFC, we put up 56. We put up a half a hundred. And damn near sent their whole, the Miami Dolphin team to the injury ward. Guys left and right got hurt in that game. Physical brand of football, the Baltimore Ravens play. And if there was any debate about who was the front runner and the, the potential winner of the MVP, I think the door was closed last week. Yep, I think Lamar Jackson will be a two-time league MVP after the performance that he put on last week. And I don't know what they're going to do this week. You'll probably close it out this week. But, I mean, what have you done for me lately? It's a good impression to leave with the voters as your way out. Lamar Jackson, to me, is your NFL MVP. I just – he two times. Howard Rick Flade say two times, two times MVP Lamar Jackson. That's coming. It's on the way. Uh, but what a statement the Ravens have put on last week. In another turn of events, while Lamar Jackson was embarrassing some folks on the football field, Panthers owner David Tepper, talk about embarrassment. David Tepper was videoed in his suite. Now, if you don't know who David Tepper is, uh, David Tepper is the owner of the Panthers, newly owner of the Panthers, been there a couple years. Uh, and there's been talks about David Tepper and his temper. And maybe this is all, and I'm not going to put this on all the CEOs of the world, uh, but sometimes those dudes with money can act a little bit funny. And you see that the Jacksonville Jaguars, did they lose that game to the Panthers? The, the, the Jaguars, they, the Jaguars, the Panthers. Jags smacked them. Right, the Jags smacked them, right? So I get the frustration. I get the frustration, but... During this time, video catches David Tepper. A fan kind of stands up on his seat, and the suite's kind of like the back end of the fan's seating. And a fan, like, pops his head up, and he's saying something to David Tepper, and you can tell David Tepper's pissed. Hot. Well, instead of him just being the bigger, smarter, more mature billionaire owner and walking away or ignoring him, no, David Tepper decides... Whatever beverage that he had left in his cup, that he was going to throw it. And he threw the, he threw the beverage on the fan. Um, came out that the league has fined David Tepper $300,000. Now, to you and I, <laughs> it's a lot of money. But when you do the equivalent of, of what that really meant to the pockets of David Tepper, who's worth twenty and a half. billion billion dollars with the B three hundred thousand dollars to twenty to twenty point six billion dollars is the equivalent of us paying a dollar and seventy seven cent fine let that <laughs> let that rest in your mind for a second three hundred K to a dude's worth twenty point six billion dollars is the equivalent of you and I average Americans Paying a fine of a dollar and seventy-seven cents. That's what that equates to. So if you felt broke before this show, you really feel broke now. Because I did. I felt real broke when I heard that. But just another, you know, if I'm 
the 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 patron, if I'm the fan, whatever was in that cup would have broken my back. I would have fell out. Oh, he threw the I slipped my neck, my back, my neck and my back. I would have been out. I would he would have threw that juice on me, that soda, that liquor, whatever he had in that cup. I would have fell over those bleachers. I would have fell 17 rows down. It's spinal. I'd have like Mike. I'd have like Mike Tyson. It's spinal. I broke my back. It's. It would have been spinal. It, I would have fell down those bleachers. Oh, I would have fell down those bleachers, and I said, "I see you in court. I see you in court, Dave. Oh, we can settle. <laughs> we can settle out of court." But the lawyers would have been. I would have been calling the lawyers. They would have been contacting me. Because I'm getting something. I'm like, I'm like Denzel and Jamie Foxx. I'm, I'm from the hood. I'm leaving here with something. You ain't going to throw no drink on me. I would have fell. I would have, that thing would have splashed in my face. I would have fell back. I would have cracked my head on one of them seats. I would have went to the hospital and I would have said I had a concussion. For weeks I would have said my vision is blurry. The lights bother me. I just, I'm emotionally disturbed and embarrassed. It's all over social media. My kids can't go to school. Oh, I would have, I would have. Mm. He'd have got fined three hundred thousand by the league. He had to pay me another five hundred thousand. I would have stretched that thing out to the absolute max. And I will end in this: uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Shout out to Mike Tomlin. Um, Seventeen seasons as the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. 17 seasons, not one losing season. Say what you want. Winning is hard in this league. And Mike Tomlin has been nothing but the standard of excellence throughout his time in this league. He's won Super Bowls. He's won conference championships. I mean, you name it, he's done it. And for 17 seasons, to say that I never had a losing record, with one franchise, that's big. So shout out to, to Mike Tomlin uh, for 17 consecutive years, years without seasons without having a losing season. And they're making it, they're, they're, they're not making a change. They're keeping it the same way. Uh, winning two games in a row, uh, Rudolph will say their quarterback. Pickett came back from injury and he's healthy and ready to go, but they just said, you know what, we're riding a hot hand. We're going to go with Mason Rudolph. We're going to ride this thing out and see where it takes us and see where it takes us. But for Mike Tomlin, I just got to just say to him, man, this is a salute to you um, just for your ability to kind of always keep a great culture. And that's, that, that's an important thing. It may be a little bit shaky now because the players that you maybe you know, you, you, you got to deal with now, but he's always kept a great culture and always been able to, to win. 17 seasons, that's, that's big. But I do want to end on this thing because I'm I'm this is this is this is going out to you, my HBCU folk, who a lot of y'all, and I want to hear I want to I want some of y'all to keep the same energy. I want some of you to keep the same energy because a lot of y'all throughout the year, as I had Dion segment after Dion segment after Dion segment. I read the comments. You hit me up on Twitter. You had things to say about I should stay in my HBCU place. You might be right. I went to a PWI. And y'all made all this fuss and this fight about Dion selling out. 
and Dion doing this and Dion doing that. Well, recently, as you know, uh, Manny Diaz is uh, over at Duke School in Durham, who used to be over at Miami. He was uh, sitting somewhere else. But I believe he's the head coach at Duke now, right? At school in Durham. Yeah. But Manny Diaz has sought out and has wanted to hire one Willie Simmons, who was the head coach at FAMU, Florida A&M University. But I just told you, Willie was the head coach at Florida A&M University. Manny Diaz is the head coach at Duke University. And Manny wants to hire Willie. Well, wait a second now. In order for Willie to leave a head coaching, in order for Willie to be a part of Manny's coaching staff, he would have to forego being a head coach at an HBCU to go over to a PWI. And what do you know? Willie handed in his resignation. Now, speculations about where he's going. We all know he's going to Duke. But I want y'all to keep the same energy because at least Dion. Yeah. So he was going, he was leaving a head coaching job to take a position coach, a running back coach at Duke University. And at least Dion, when he left Jackson State, took his talents to be a head coach at a bigger program. So if y'all are going to have the same, and, and, and by the way, and by the way, part of the reason that's being talked about while Willie is leaving FAMU is because he asked, he asked, he asked, 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 asked them for pay raise. Which in return he told, they were, he was told that they did not have the money. They did not have the funds. So he's going from a head coaching job to a running back coach, which I presume would give him a raise because of the, the, you know, the school levels. But still, the fact of the matter is that he left an HBCU for a better opportunity, higher paying job at a PWI. So if y'all had that same negative energy for me, for Dion, and this ain't about me. Y'all got, y'all got. Keep it real now. See, it's not about, I think a lot of y'all just wanted to hate on Dion, to hate on Dion. And a lot of y'all missed the, the fact that sometimes you got to just go get a better opportunity. And while I love for my black people to stay at HBCUs, I had Uncle Nate talk about it last week. There, do, there comes a point in time where you got to think about self at times. And how can I better myself and my family? And if the, if the university doesn't want to find ways to, to pay me my worth, because Coach Simmons was a winning coach then I got to go elsewhere for bigger and better opportunities. So I'm just saying that y'all had that energy for me and had anything for Dion when he left Jackson State, then went to Colorado. And trust me, Duke is just as white as Colorado. <laughs> That's a private institution. It's just as white. So y'all keep that same energy, man. All right, man, I'm out. That'll do it for me. We appreciate you being here each and every week, man. Episode 52 out there, man. Remember, man, protect your peace at all costs. Learn to let it go. 
No bitterness, no anger, no, no, no bad feelings. We're just letting it go. And we're protecting our peace at all costs. Happy New Year to each and every one of you, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Eliminate the contingencies. We out!